Shape Moda designs women's trousers to suit everybody's shape to get the perfect fit. Just imagine that as soon as you wear a pair of trousers, they feel like the best piece of clothing ever. Dress for your body shape with Shape Moda and make a huge change in your life now. Go to shapemoda.com and find out which body shape you have. Shape Moda gives you the perfect fit. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be asking two brilliant American women about the horrific and historic, I suppose, decision by the US Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade, which declares that a constitutional right to abortion no longer exists in that country. I worry that women will go online to get abortion pills and they will, for example, go on to a fake website run by anti-choice people who will tell her a lot of lies and maybe will send her fake abortion pills. So all kinds of things like that can happen. I mean, you don't want medical care to be illegal. That was journalist Katha Pollitt there, and we'll hear more from her later. But before uh, we go to America, I wanted to mention a development here in Ireland where Justice Minister Helen McEntee has brought forward the third national strategy on domestic, sexual and gender-based violence to Cabinet. And it means in Ireland that criminal penalties for domestic abusers are going to double from five years to ten years and there will be twice the number of refuge spaces available to women in Ireland. Now we've talked on this podcast before about this uh, plan and now the full details have emerged of the 360 million euro initiative to try to end domestic sexual and gender based violence. It's expected that the strategy is going to be a zero tolerance one. That is zero tolerance for violence against women and domestic abuse. And under the five year plan, the state would reform criminal law to increase sentences for common offences used by domestic abusers and sexual predators. So it's good news and it's news that um, is long overdue, you might say. The fact that we've had our third strategy um, sort of shows you how this issue continues not to be tackled. And you might think that uh, there should always have been a zero tolerance strategy when it comes to violence against women. But no, that's not what we've had. But uh, better late than never, I suppose. And I also noticed during the week that there were people lining up to give character references to uh, a man who was described by them as a great person altogether, a wonderful friend and a father. And of course, that person was convicted of abusing his wife and his son. So it shows that a lot has to change in how we tolerate and I suppose celebrate in some cases the people who perpetrate this violence. And I was really glad to see a high court judge said last week that those people who present with these unbelievable character references for people who have done really terrible things should come to court to be cross-examined. And I wonder how many people would be praising the rapists and the sexual abusers and the people who beat up their loved ones in front of their children if they had to stand up and do it and without the cloak of anonymity and if they had to face, put a face to their words, I wonder how many of them would be saying what a great friend and a wonderful person they are. But in the meantime... 
Helen McEntee's strategy is to be welcomed and as indeed as it has been by many campaigners. So we'll watch this space and see how that develops. Now, I know many of you were appalled by the news that the US Supreme Court officially reversed Roe versus Wade last Friday, declaring that the constitutional right to abortion in America, which was upheld for nearly half a century, no longer exists. The decision was foreshadowed somewhat by that leak from the Supreme Court, but it still came as a shock. Writing for the court majority, Justice Samuel Alito said that the 1973 Roe ruling must be overruled because they were so egregiously wrong, the arguments exceptionally weak and so damaging that they amounted to an abuse of judicial authority. And that decision, most of which was leaked in early May, as I said, means that abortion rights will be rolled back in nearly half of the states in America immediately with more restrictions likely to follow. We've already seen it in states like Utah and Texas and Tennessee And it should be said as well, there's half the states in America where abortion will remain legal. But for all practical purposes, abortion will not be available in up to half of the states in America. And it's a decision that is going to affect millions of women and not just women, their families um, and men too. And the consequences, mostly, I suppose, for women and girls are going to be far reaching. And as we know, because of our experiences in this country, when you restrict people's abortion rights, terrible things happen. It will inevitably lead to the death of some women and certainly it will increase hardship in the lives of so many people. So to talk about this, we have two wonderful supporters of women's reproductive rights. Dr. Erica Goldblatt-Hyatt is an administrator, clinician and author with over 15 years worth of experience in the field of death and dying. She's a professor at Rutgers University in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology and Reproductive Sciences at Robert Wood Johnson Medical Centre. In her role at that medical school, she provides advanced level education for physicians about the human experience of grief, pregnancy, loss and bioethics. And she's one of the few specialists in the United States working with people who've experienced later abortion and ending pregnancies due to fetal anomalies. And she has spoken movingly of her own experience of late term abortion. Katha Pollitt is a journalist, essayist, poet and columnist with The Nation magazine. She's been on the women's podcast before and she came to Ireland around the time of the referendum on abortion to write about it for The Nation. She's also the author of a brilliant book, Pro Reclaiming Abortion Rights, which was a response uh, to the feeling among many pro-choice people that they needed to be more assertive and less defensive. Katha's point and her, her quotes on abortion and her thoughts are quoted all over the place. She says abortion needs to be discussed in a way that recognises that it's an integral component of women's reproductive lives. And her argument is built upon the idea that abortion is a positive social good and an essential option for women. So Kath has been on the podcast before and she's I've met her in Ireland. She's a really, really brilliant journalist. And so we got in touch with Erica and Katha to, I suppose, to mark this moment in American history to see how these two women were feeling and to get their thoughts on how people were feeling on the ground. Uh, Also to find out what they think will happen next and to try and understand the context of what has happened. And I began by simply asking Katha how she was feeling at this very grim and hopeless time. I feel terrible. (laughs) How could one not? I mean, this is such a disaster to have at one fell swoop 
a potential half of the country, 26 states, uh, where abortion will be banned or near banned and all uh, overnight. It's it's just shocking. What are what are women going to do? Basically, one always tries to be a little hopeful. And I think some people thought, oh, now that this has happened, uh, Justice Roberts is going to do some something magical uh, because he's supposed to be the one who cares a lot about precedent and not being going too far all at once. But, you know, he signed on to this. So there really wasn't hope. But people, it's been very hard. I've noticed this. It's very hard, especially for for pundits and political people who are a little more mainstream, middle of the road, to accept that uh, the goal is really the banning of abortion. Um, for, you know, I just wrote about this in my latest column that, you know, for a long time, the mainstream media has kind of made fun of people who said, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what the anti-choice people want. Um, said, oh, no, you're just chicken littles. You're, you know, the sky, you're always saying the sky is falling. You're just trying to raise money. You're trying to get people to vote for your candidates. Um, this is, you know, this isn't going to happen. Um, well, they were really wrong. They were really wrong about that. And I think they owe the women of America a huge apology. Now, I want to bring in Erica here now. So, Erica, again, same question to you on the, this very, very dark time, I think, in American history, not just American and globally. We're all feeling it all around the world. I'm sure you've seen the global reaction. How are you feeling about this time? You know, I'm surprised by how devastated I am, given that we had the leaked draft. But I think Katha is absolutely right. There was a shred of hope there. And then, of course, I saw the rulings leading up to the decision on Friday and my heart sank, um, you know, just with regard to um, the issue of guns, for example, I, I thought, okay, well, this this court is this court and uh, we're out of luck. So, you know, as a, as a parent that's had a later abortion, but also as a social worker, I'm devastated at what the impact is going to be on people who are now... Um, going to be even more vulnerable to these bans, who are going to have to travel, who are going to face long waits and potentially being turned away at clinics. I am devastated for uh, people who have experienced or are experiencing fetal anomaly and uh, now will have to have even later abortions plus certification in some, in some states of uh, two physicians if they want to terminate. I mean, the implications of this are staggering and it's truly uh, an assault on our human rights. Um, and this is something that I'm hoping after the devastation takes its time to settle in, I hope this becomes a point of radicalization for birthing people and their allies in the United States. And on that, Katha, I mean, do you feel it's going to be that moment of radicalization? It's interesting that you say the chicken little thing. And I think when we were all, well, I personally was sitting here in this very room crying when Donald Trump was elected and my poor kids were like traumatized, couldn't go to school because they were like, what's wrong? But this was the moment, wasn't it, that we all were crying about. That's what we were all dreading. And, and like you say, lots of people thought we were overreacting and being stupid. But here we are at this time. But is it going to be a moment of radicalization, as Erica said, do you think? 
I think it will be for some people because a lot of those people who didn't take the threat all that seriously were women, uh, were young women who are at great risk of pregnancy. Um, and I think now, you know, the penny has dropped, like, oh, my God, this could be me. Um, and so I'm just, but the question is, you know, what happens with those, that realization and those feelings that is there a way for them to be channeled and politically activated? Um, unfortunately, the next elections look not great for Democrats um, because, I mean, poor Biden, he just can't catch a break. You know that we've got inflation, we've got these high gas prices, um, all kinds of things are going wrong that don't have anything to do with abortion, but that turn people off. Um, so I'm just hoping that, yes, that, that people can mobilize um, and overcome their considerable, the considerable disdain of many for the Democratic Party, which many feel has not done everything they could to preserve abor- and, you know, um, reify abortion rights. We have to put those feelings aside. We, if, you know, if what is the expression that the best is the enemy of the good, or the, maybe it's the other way around. Perfect is the enemy of the good, I think. Right, the- right. We just have to do what we can, even if it's not everything we wish that could happen. Yeah. As I'm talking to you, Kath, I'm just thinking about when you came over and um, when we were campaigning about the repeal of the eighth referendum here, it's, it's so... Well, interesting is the wrong word, but it's so astonishing to me that to be talking to you now when what's going on in your country. You know, I was thinking about it when I had to travel for my abortion. I had to travel on a plane for an hour. You know, I was lucky enough I was able to get the the money together. But we're talking about millions and millions of women in America with absolutely no hope of getting out of the state they're in because America is so huge. And as Erica, you've spoken about recently about how many people who are poor or economically, people who are marginalized anyway, they're just absolutely no chance. So I'm just thinking about the, the sort of interesting because you've you've observed the Irish story so much over the years, Katha, and now look what's happening in America. Yeah, you know, when I came over to Ireland, it was such a happy, optimistic, wonderful time. And now Ireland is ahead of us. Who'd have thunk it, you know? Um, and and with some of the same villains in each case, the Catholic Church bears a very heavy responsibility here. Um, and evangelical fundamentalist, you know, pro- and fundamentalist Protestants. I don't know how many of those you have, but uh, they they play a very important role here in the United States. And I want to say something though. You know, the thing to remember and maybe take a little bit of hope from is that most Americans do not support this. Most Americans are pro-choice. They're, they may not be enthusiastic about abortion. They, they like to make a moral distinction between what a distinction between what should be moral and what should be legal, which are very different things, as we know in many other areas of life. Um, and it's really a small percentage of Americans who, are, who support this. And I suspect that number will go down as, you know, more and more horrific stories happen to people and, and, and known to pro-life people. Um, you know, they're not going to be so happy when it's their daughter or themselves. <laughs> um, 
So um, I take a little bit of hope from that. And there's one more thing that uh, Ireland did something I think was very good, which is it had that that big, was it a year-long meeting of... Yeah, our, our assembly, yeah, our citizens' yeah, assembly. to talk, talk or ordinary people talking about it. I think that was really crucial. Um, and I think we we could use more of that in the United States um, just to try to get out of the box we're in. Yeah. Erica, coming to you and your work as a social worker and you referenced there your own late term abortion as well, which is something that's, I think, very misunderstood by people a lot of the time. And we can we can talk about that. But are you already seeing on the ground or hearing, you know, the consequences of what is basically forcing millions of women to have children that they didn't want to have and what that will mean? Um, is that something that's kind of coming to your door or that your people that you deal with are, are talking about now? Yeah, so I work with uh, people that have had later abortions, and uh, many of them that I'm working with now are pregnant again, because many people that have abortions, most people that have abortions are parents already, are going to be parents. And uh, the abject terror that I'm hearing, these are folks who are desperate to get their prenatal tests earlier um, and their results earlier, when we know the science, unfortunately, can't keep up. But not only can the science not keep keep up, clinics will not be able to keep up. You know, for whatever reason a person has an abortion, there are many people in this country who cannot uh, access good prenatal care, who uh, are employed at multiple locations and are unable to leave work for care or who did not receive good sexual education. So, you know, there those are common reasons for later abortions. Or fetal anomaly, when you find out later in pregnancy, when anatomy starts to truly be able to be seen, um, that is when people find out. And that is another reason why people have these abortions. And uh, we know that postpartum mood disorders pose a tremendous threat to uh, women and birthing people's mental health. We know that suicide, and we don't frequently talk about this piece, but postpartum depression and postpartum suicidal ideation and suicidality is an epidemic in this country already. So now add an unwanted pregnancy, a person is forced to give birth, and then they're faced with postpartum mood disorders. Um, I expect to see people, and now certainly, you know, humans are resilient and they will, I, I expect to see people of means finding a way to get abortions. Um, I am, I'd be interested to hear Katha's thoughts on this kind of narrative of the back alley abortion, which I also think, uh, you know, is a little bit of a, a boogeyman story for some that um, there are ways to access abortion uh, through medication or people through networks that are safe, but there are certainly people without the resources and the knowledge that will self-induce abortion. And it's it's not the back alley abortionist, it's, it's the person that is going to take it upon themselves because they're desperate and they're going to end this pregnancy. And, you know, when you, you talk about the irony of a pro-life approach, well, it, it really is anti-choice and it, it really is anti-life uh, because we have a person who's putting their life at risk. And, and I, I expect we will see that uh, before we see people forced or people going through the process, going through the entire pregnancy uh, to give birth. I Abortion is still going to happen. Uh, and I don't expect people to so easily uh, give birth uh, because the right to abortion has been taken away. But for those that do, 
I expect um, the mental health impact to be tremendous and the impact on our healthcare system to um, to be so large. We already know post-pandemic that mental health providers cannot meet the needs of people that require counseling and therapy just from the past two years. Uh, so the medical and the mental health care system are going to be incredibly taxed and people, I, I mean, there's, I predict a wave of suffering, right? There's no way around it. There's going to be a wave of suffering on all aspects of the grid. Katha, what do you think about what Erica's talking about there? I'm afraid she's very right. It's very, it's very true. I mean, you can't have hundreds of thousands of women every year forced into this terrible situation without there being enormous repercussions, both emotionally and mentally and economically and and socially in every way. Um, you know, there's a discussion going on in the United States about, you know, should people still use the coat hanger as a symbol of what happens when abortion is banned. Um, and, you know, the coat hanger used to be a co very common way for women to try to induce their abortions, and it was very dangerous. Um, and the point now is that we have abortion pills, which are, are safe, um, although even if, they're, if, even if they're illegal and even if you go to the ER with, the, with bleeding, you don't know. You might get some nurse or doctor who who has you arrested now. Um, but we're not in the same situation um, in that there will be less actual death. But the thing about abortion pills is that you have to know how to get them. And it's, you know, I just read this interest, wonderful book by Annie Ernaux, who is a French writer called Happening. And I think everyone should I, read it. I saw the yeah. film. Yeah, I haven't, I, yeah, I haven't seen the film yet, film but I read the book. And, you know, she, this was in like around 1963, I think it was, abortion, yeah. totally illegal in France. She is determined to get one. She, uh, and, and she does in the end after using knitting needles on herself and all kinds of horrible stuff. But then after, and no one will, none of the doctors and people she knows in the provincial town where she's in college will help her. After she has her abortion, it turns out that all around her were midwives who were giving illegal abortions. And someone says to her, oh, you should have just gone to Madam So-and-so. But you, she didn't know. If you don't know, you don't know. Um, and so I worry that uh, women will go online to get abortion pills and they will, for example, go onto a, an, a, fake, a fake website run by anti-choice people who will tell, get, tell her a lot of lies and maybe will send her fake abortion pills. Um, so all kinds of things like that can happen. I mean, you don't want medical care to be illegal. Um, no one would dream of saying, well, you can always have heart surgery, you know, even though it's illegal now, <laughs> just go find a doctor. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's what's, what is, what is happening now is really terrible. And what really gets me, and I want to know what Erica thinks about this too, is the way that anti-choice people simply deny that any of this will happen, um, for example, oh, ectopic pregnancies. Well, well, there's no problem there. Why don't we wait and see if there's a problem? Oh, yeah, let's wait until somebody dies because a doctor is afraid to, you know, to uh, whatever the word is, evacuate her ectopic pregnancy. And then, oh, maybe then we'll get worried. But, you know, all these things, the bad thing always happens <laughs> to somebody 
Yeah. Erica, do you want to come in on that? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. I have seen people, I've seen anti-choice people on social media posting to that effect, you know, show me, show me the example of when this has happened, you know, let's, let's wait and see because it's not going to happen. Um, but I, I also, I mean, I see so much denial, so much denial of science, First of all, I mean, the, the bill, the Dobbs bill was, you know, had a, a rooting in fetal pain. Um, and there are laws in states that mandate counseling between, uh, you know, the, the so-called link between abortion and breast cancer, of which there's no such link, no such scientific link. So, you know, we're in this post-truth world where if um, a person chooses to turn a blind eye to the realities of what's going to happen. It's so easy to do that and then gain a following for it. And this decision just reinforces kind of the zeal, like the the zealousness and, and legitimates the um, standing firm and, and resolute and the fact that this simply isn't going to happen. Um, you know, to, to self-disclose about my situation, when I shared that I had a later abortion, now our son was diagnosed on anatomy scan with a very rare and deadly defect that appears on a spectrum. He developed um, in utero without a trachea. Um, so where he should have had an airway was blunted off. There was fluid that was filling that was not able to be expelled from the womb. And what that did was go back into his lungs. So it expanded his lungs, it crushed his heart, and it flipped his diaphragm upside down. And, uh, you know, we were told uh, there are some cases where you can create an airway. Now, all of the all of the babies that are born where this intervention has happened, which is very, very rare, all have tracheostomies. Um, and they're not able, you, you know, you can't simply create an airway where an airway isn't. Um, but that's that even that wouldn't be an option for you. Unfortunately, where this anatomy is placed means that you, if you deliver this baby, um, if you carry a term, if this fetus doesn't die in the womb of heart failure, uh, you will have a brain dead infant. So then you will face, you know, I, I thought as, as a person with a degree in bioethics, I thought, oh my gosh, then we're going to have to make the decision to, to end supportive measures anyway. Um, so, you know, long story short, I, I shared this story and people were fervently researching ways that I was wrong about the diagnosis. I mean, well, actually in cases of uh, tracheal agenesis, but it wasn't tracheal agenesis. It was, it was, it was, you know, so there are differences and nuances that in sound bites on, on Twitter, you can't capture, but you can't, you don't even want to bother capturing the nuance because these are folks that I really believe are so horrified by situations like mine that they don't want to abide with it. There has to be a way that this is not true. There has to be a way that she could have, quote, saved her baby. Um, and and they just, there's a willful denial to the point where people believe they are experts in our story. And this is a story that involved us, you know, multiple fetal MRIs and echocardiograms and uh, level three ultrasounds. This was an informed decision based on you know, being a professor and uh, a person that already worked in end of life, I had access to peer-reviewed literature. Uh, so people want to school me on my own loss. And uh, I, I think that is reflective of the climate where we're at, that certainly 
has been growing since 2016. Um, but there were, you know, there have been rumblings of that on the anti-choice side, I think, for quite some time. This podcast is brought to you by ShapeModa.com. Log on today to find your perfect fit. And Katha, before we go back, I just want to reflect on the fact you've written so much about this subject over the years. And some of your quotes are the ones that are swirling around all the time when this subject comes up. One of the quotes you said is that a man's home is his castle, but a woman's body has never been her own. It belongs to her nation, her community, her father, her family, her husband. And I suppose that goes to the heart of it. And almost what you said that some pundits don't really didn't really believe that this was going to happen. Like some people don't really believe that, but actually it's true. And that's why what's happening is so misogynistic, is so anti-women. Um, just talk to us a little bit about, even though most Americans you say are pro-choice, that this small group of people are holding this incredible country like America to ransom. And they, they don't like women. It is so true. Um, I wouldn't want to say every single one of them doesn't like women because I know some lovely anti-choice feminists um, and they just have a different take. They just think it's all going to be okay, <laughs> you know, and, and babies and we can't, you know, we can't kill a baby to help its mother and all that kind of thing. And they're all Catholic um, I mean, I don't know any anti-choice people who are not from those patriarchal religions, I have to say, although I'm sure they exist. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to say is that, and this is a, related to misogyny, is that now you find people writing the, their articles saying, well, once abortion is made illegal— then we're really going to have to do something about um, the women who are having these babies, many of whom are poor. And I'm thinking, you know, you could have been doing that for the last hundred years. Uh, you, you, there was no need to wait. You have thrown your, uh, you know, your hat in with a, a political party that is dedicated to taking away every support for poor families and and, and children, that it tries to take away health care, that tries to take away food stamps. I mean, we don't have anything like, a, I think you have a pretty robust welfare system in Ireland, although it's not perfect. I know there are a lot no. of homeless people, but, you know, Amer in America, it's just unbelievable. I mean, there are states where in order to get welfare, you have to have an income of like, you know, $3 a year. I mean, it's like, you know, like just a few thousand dollars. You're not surviving as it is. Um, so and and the and 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 it's all. I mean, the Republicans are so down with this, and you know, you have to say to these pro-life people, "Well, where have you been? Where have you been? Why have you been waiting? Wouldn't it have been a better idea to give women the support first, you know, and then see if that lowered the abortion the abortion rate?" And speaking of Catholics, um, of course, your president Biden while pro-choice, essentially, is, a, is another committed Catholic, isn't he? Well, and so is Nancy Pelosi. She goes to church all the time. I mean, there are almost half of Catholics in the United States are pro-choice. And uh, I'm sure there are a lot of nuns and priests that are pro-choice, too, that, that are just on, you know, quiet about it. I did read Elizabeth Warren calling for, I think she called them abortion tents, that public lands in states where they're not going to outlaw abortion should be doing that. Have you heard anything about that or any moves in different states where they're not going to trigger the, the ban? 
Well, I just saw a headline about that. But, you know, a couple of years ago, um, the uh, Lakota chief, the first female one, and her name was Cecilia Fire Thunder. And she said, well, I'm going, it was in uh, one of the Dakotas. And she says, well, I'm going to put an abortion clinic on our our reservation, which is, you know, has its own laws and rules and all like that. And um, that did not go over well with, uh, with the tribe. And she was ousted. So I, I think it's not going to, you know, it's not just waving a wand. That's the thing. None of this, I, mean, I want to hear what Erica thinks. None of this, people talk on both sides as if you could just wave a wand and the problem goes away. But actually, like, oh, why don't the Democrats just pass a law? Well, the Democrats don't pass a law because they're only 40, you know, because there are some, you know, anti-choice Democrats. They're horrible mansion would never go along with it. Um, you need 60 votes in the Senate, you know, on and on and on. There, these things get very tech. And the uh, anti-choice people have been much better at manipulating the electoral system to win. Like gerrymandering, uh, they really concentrated on the state legislatures, which is where most abortion law is passed, while the pro-choice side is thinking about the federal government, um, which has less to do with it right now, although that could change. So it's you have to really get into the weeds on some of this stuff. I don't think there's going to be quick fixes. Mm. Erica, no magic wand, certainly. No, this is so systemic. I mean, we we need to work on abolishing the carceral state. You know, we need to work on um, having families unified on child welfare. We need to um, officially stop shackling inmates that are giving birth. We need, I mean, there are so many things we need to work on. The history of oppression of minoritized individuals in this country, um, is, 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 you know, centuries old. And, uh, the, the people that are in charge right now aren't concerned with dismantling that. Um, and so, you know, in, in social work, we're calling for this abolitionist framework, whereby we we really deconstruct and even look at the role of social workers as agents of child removal and agents of policing and um, even of population control, which some people really believe that, you know, abortion bans being a violation of human rights, absolutely, an attack on women, absolutely, but also about population control, also about saying who can and can't be a mother and a parent. And those are discussions that that should be happening, you know, not at the state and federal level. That should be happening inside people's houses in the privacy of their own homes. Um, I don't think the way that the United States is working right now or not working, I don't think those discussions are going to be returned to the people and we're going to be rebuilding from the ground up. I, I expect, unfortunately, I, I keep turning towards this very pessimistic um perspective. Um, you know, maybe Katha has more hope, but uh, I really think that so much undoing and unnodding is required for us to get to a place where things start to look hopeful again um, in the current administration and the lack of action. Um, doesn't doesn't make me feel incredibly positive. Yeah. I mean, Katha referenced our Citizens Assembly there earlier and a lot of our campaigning around abortion in Ireland was about women telling their stories. So we had lots of people coming out and, you know, you've done that yourself. And I presume for the same reasons, because when people understand exactly what's involved, 
They make less uninformed decisions and they're more compassionate, I think. That's certainly what we found. But in America, there's been a movement for quite a time now about shout your abortion, people telling their stories. It hasn't stopped this happening. But would you expect to see more women coming out, maybe more high profile people? We've seen a lot of celebrities very distraught about the ruling. I mean, I was watching Billie Eilish on Glastonbury in the middle of one of her songs. She stopped to talk about the decision. So is that going to be a key thing or is that going to help, do you think? There's always a power in narrative. You know, telling a story is incredibly powerful. What I expect to see, and I'd love to know what Katha thinks about this, um, you know, the fetal anomaly stories are are heartbreaking. And um, people kind of label these, the you know, they're the good abortion, right? Which is, is kind of that weird binary. I'm actually wondering if we're going to start seeing more stories about these ectopic pregnancies, like the I almost died because people were consulting with lawyers to see if my pregnancy could be removed from my body. Like, I'm wondering if those life or death of the pregnant person stories will start to take over. And if perhaps mortality, you know, re-decentering away from the fetus and centering on maternal or birthing person's life might be something that starts to spin the wheel. Um, Because we know there are some exceptions in some states for fetal anomaly, and there's compassion there. Doesn't seem to really, you know, people say, I'm so sorry for your loss, but you could have chosen something else, you know. But in the case of life or death, maybe there would be some sway there. I don't know, Katha, what do you think? Well, I think there might be. Um, The problem is you've already identified it, which is no matter what the story is, if you have a different ideological position. You can always spin the story. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Um, I mean, we see that in many areas of life. You know, why are you poor? Well, you made bad choices, you know, uh, which sometimes is true. Um, And I think that um, storytelling is great and it's really important. um, And I'm sure it has made some people think harder But most abortions in the United States are not about, you know, terrible medical situations of the kind, you know, you so movingly described. And I'm so sorry for what you had to go through, my God. I mean, most of them are, they're not even, oh, the condom broke. They're because people weren't using birth control um, or they weren't using it properly or, um, you know, something happened that it was um, just a mistake. Um, So... Those stories, you can always make it seem like, oh, well, that person is just a lazy slut. Um, and uh, and you see this with later abortions. Why Now, why is she having that abortion at 20 weeks? Why can that's plenty of time? You know, it's plenty of time to have an abortion. It's, and most abortions are very early. Um, but there are going to be these later situations, some of which are related to poverty um, and some of which are related to lack of access and some of which are things that might not sound to another person like a good reason slash excuse. Um, people are so judgmental, you know, they just love, I mean, they always have been, you know, they love to stand behind their, their behind their window with twitching at the curtain to see what's going on. Um, and I think that this is a perfect example of that because People are very judgmental to women about sex, much more than to men. And I think the one thing that would be really great is if men stepped up to the plate a little more. Um, you know, I just watched this video 
um, at the New York Times website, which I advise everyone to see. Um, it has a strange picture on it, um, but it's about a young woman who has to find abortion pills. And she says, you know, uh, well, uh, you know, I found out I was pregnant and I was watching TV with my boyfriend and I, I was trying to think of how to tell him. And that's the last we hear of this boyfriend, you know, and maybe there's a very, I don't want to judge. I don't want to do what I just accused others of doing and saying, where was he? Because maybe there was a good reason why he doesn't show up more in the story. But, you know, a lot of men walk away from women in this situation. And that's terrible. I have seen articles about um, how the repeal of Roe affects men. I mean, there's going to be men now who have to be parents who didn't want to be as well. Like this idea that it is only a woman's issue is also quite narrow and wrong, really, isn't it, Erica? Absolutely. I mean, abortion or lack thereof affects everyone. And, And that's why when I say like healthcare systems are going to start to feel the bulge. It's it's not just about parenting or paying child support. It's about, you know, prenatal appointments. It's it's about pediatrician's appointments. It's about just the system buckling under the weight of the need. And that affects every person living in the United States. Mm. Can we, before we leave, have some words of hope, Katha? I don't know why I'm thinking you might have some, but my heart goes out to you and I know, hope you do know that everybody, well, a lot of our listeners, um, you know, would feel the same, have been horrified by what's happening. And it doesn't feel like it's just an American issue. It feels like it's part of this rise of the right. And the way people, yes. some people in your country were celebrating this, this loss of human rights was absolutely despicable and disgusting. So I just want you to both to know that. But Katha, maybe can you leave us some hopeful words that, that this might be a Rubicon, this might get better? Well, most people are on the pro-choice side, so I think that's that's hopeful. Um, I think there are some structures that will help women get to safe care, um, abortion funds which raise money for poor women's abortions. Um, there are. I think this will become a political issue. I mean, the people who said, oh, now we're taking it out of politics because every state gets to make up its own abortion laws. This is the opposite of the truth. Um, it's going to be a 50-state fight from now on, and it will go on for a really long time. But, you know, I guess my advice is take your vitamins because it's going to be a long fight. Um, and I think if in the end we'll win, the world tendency is toward more abortion rights, not fewer abortion rights. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. It's going to be take a long time. Now, Erica, what about you? Any words of hope or consolation, which I know is very hard at this time, very hard. I would say one of the benefits of um, what's happened, if you can call it a benefit, one of, one of the points of meaning making is that social work is becoming far more mobilized than it was. And so where we saw very little interest in reproductive justice and reproductive rights. Uh, It's a very busy time for me. People want to hear. Uh, Courses are being created and adapted and developed and social workers are boots on the ground. We are working with the most marginalized people. And up until now, there is very little education in terms of how to help clients seeking abortion. So uh, I'm really pleased to see uh, my profession stepping up and helping the most vulnerable who are the people that are out there um, getting abortions. So that is something hopeful. 
Yeah, and there are, we should say, a lot of states where abortion is still legal, where it's going to remain legal. And you hear people like the in New York, um, politicians talking about how it's going to be almost like a safe haven for women, which I know can't help somebody who's miles and miles away from there. But there is a lot of people speaking out about wanting to care for women and give them the health care they need. So that is important to say. But at the same time, it's just a devastating time for, for all of you and uh, a story that just unfolded. I mean, the shock on social media and even friends texting me and the, the kind of horror people felt when that decision was handed down because, again, it is so misogynistic and it doesn't take in the realities of women's lives and the decisions we have to make in order to fulfill our lives and do what we need to do in the world. Um, It's just appalling. But I have loved speaking to you at the same time, hearing from two women on the ground who know so much about it. And uh, hopefully maybe you can come back again when things are moving in a better way. Let's let's hope. Thank you so much for having me, Rusheen. It's really great to talk with you and to meet Erica on the show. Yes, I feel so grateful and uh, honored to be alongside you. How cool. I didn't expect to see you. And, and so thank you for <laughs> all of really your work great. and I advocacy. Learned, I learned a lot from listening to you. Thanks. That's brilliant. Well, I hope you two are going to keep in touch. And I feel great that I've connected two yeah. amazing women together and, and you can keep doing great work together. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Erica and Katha. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks so much to Erica Goldblatt-Hyatt and Katha Pollitt. We'll keep in touch with both women as this story unfolds, because it's going to run and run. There was a little note of hope there at the end, but not much. But um, I know that there is a massive mobilisation of people in America who are very, very distraught about this um, on behalf of themselves and also on behalf of uh, people in America. That's it from me. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, by Jennifer Ryan and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram or email us, the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>